Well, a couple of announcements just to make you aware of um, for things coming up. Uh, Vacation Bible School. We, we actually have almost finished filming for VBS, which was crazy. I mean, you think about the teachers, right? You come, used to come every night. You'd prepare ahead of time. You'd come every night and be here for three, four hours with the kids. And, and now it was the kid, teachers came and they taught their one lesson and they left and VBS was over for them. And it was kind of a, kind of a letdown a little bit, right? We, we love being together. Uh, the worship team, who, who they put on so much great stuff, the, the dancing and the moves to the songs. They're here every night in the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. Uh, they were here for about three, four hours, recorded, and then they were done. You know, it's one of those things. But we are uh, getting ready to get all that edited and, and get that fi- finalized. And that will, re- will, will be released on June 29th. That week is Vacation Bible School. Certainly those videos can be viewed anytime after they're released. Um, if you want your kids to participate, you can uh, register them through our FBC Mount Shasta website. Uh, you can click on register your kid. Do, do each one individually, if you would, please. We want to make sure that kids that want to participate have uh, the craft kits and everything they need for Vacation Bible School. Uh, maybe you have some neighbor, neighbor friends or neighbor kids that you'll be inviting. Have them register as well. We want to make sure every kid that wants one gets a packet with the good stuff for Vacation Bible School, and especially a CD of all the songs, right? So that, uh, that they can listen to that, and, and we can listen to those on long trips. Right, parents? So much fun. No, they are. They're wonderful songs, and, and kids are holding on to those truths. So Vacation Bible School, that's coming up. Um, really blessed that we have people that are technically talented and gifted uh, on computers and with, uh, with editing stuff. It's just amazing we can produce some quality content. We have been producing also the midweek uh, sermons, or, or teaching rather, from our elders, and we're going to continue doing that, but we're, we've kind of shifted a little bit. Last week I mentioned this. This coming Wednesday, right, the 17th, we are going to have an actual in-person Wednesday night service right here at 6.30. So we'll be socially distant again. We're going to sing a couple songs. It'll be very simple, very acoustic. Uh, and then following those songs, uh, for the majority of the weeks, uh, Hoyt will be teaching, and he'll be going through his book of Malachi as he started in his Bible study. And then uh, other, other weeks, other elders will jump in and, and do some random teachings as well. Should be a great time. Uh, we're also going to live stream that, so that not only becomes... A midweek service, but it still stays the midweek teaching that is produced and put out for families uh, on the internet on, on YouTube. So be aware of that coming up as well. Um, as always, we're so grateful for our church family who you continue to give faithfully and cheerfully. Uh, you're amazing. Um, God continues to take care of his church and needs are met uh, both in, in-house and out of the house, and that's you're awesome. So uh, as you come back now, you don't have to necessarily give online unless you want to continue that. Uh, but we have put offering boxes on the side of the, uh, of the sound booth there on each side. So if you want to give as you leave there, that's great. Uh, certainly, you can continue to give online for you still viewing out there at home. Uh, you can give online if you want to um, contribute that way, you can. Uh, and there's ways you can give through text or email or on our website. It re- makes it really simple. It also it links everything to your Breeze account, which uh, makes it easy for, at the end of the year, your tax statements to come out. It's all already linked. So. Anyway, if you ever have questions about that, you can always call the, call the church office. They can help you out with that. But we are still uh, amazed and grateful that God continues to be faithful. I don't know, why are we always amazed and great, you know, that God is faithful? Right? He's always faithful. He always takes care uh, of his own, right, his children. So he's a good, good God. So I think that's about it. Um, oh, the note about Mike Stafford. Uh, his service is scheduled for Saturday, June 27th at 1 p.m. here at the church. Uh, as of now, it's, it's going to be kind of a socially distanced thing here. Uh, in the sanctuary, but uh, you, you can keep posted on our email about that. We'll make sure to announce that next week, too, if there's any other details. All right. I think that's all the announcements we got. Let's go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19. The book of Psalm 19. 
Uh, we are continuing in our series. We started up last week again in the summer of Psalms, and we're going to continue moving through that. I'm sorry you'll notice that in the, in the pew rack there are no Bibles. We're not supposed to be, you know, handling a bunch of Bibles and putting them back and forth. So bring your Bibles to church. Bring your Bibles to church. If you don't have one, see one of us afterwards. We can round one up and find one to hand to you, and you can take home. But we, that's a, there's a lot of cleaning that happens in between services, and we wanted to minimize what we were cleaning. So make sure you bring your Bible to church. You can follow along. So, yes, Lois. Yeah, you can download a Bible on your smartphone. Absolutely. I use that all the time. Blue Letter Bible is a good one I like to use. So you can download that app. All right, so we have started Psalm 19. Alistair actually uh, preached the first uh, six verses of Psalm 19 last week. Did an awesome job at that, presenting uh, the glory of God as it was revealed through general revelation, through creation. And we got to see this, this majesty. And one of the things that we, we've seen uh, in this psalm and what we're aware of as we continue through it is we see the depth of awe that David has towards God for the majesty of his creation. And, and we, as we move into the, the sermon today, it's kind of interesting. Between verse 6 and 7, uh, it almost seems that there's, a, there's an abrupt break here or some kind of a, a, a rabbit trail, a tangent. He's like, he sees a squirrel and he goes after it, right? He's like, oh, there's something different. And, and it just seems weird. It seems like there's a weird break. But I think if we, if we there's a few things I think that, that kind of pull this together and make this more seamless and make this cohesive and make it, make it understood to go together. One of those things is the great awe that David has here. David is in awe of God. And now listen, we can go to the Word of God, and usually we think, oh, it was written, it's for me right now in this season. And obviously God's Word is timeless, and it is. But if we don't understand where it's coming from and who it came from and the circumstances re- around that, uh, we may miss something in that. David is in complete awe of God. This is a psalm. This is a song meant to be sung in church. There was something grand about what David understood from creation and the Word of God that was relevant both together. And, and we're going to look at that today. So the first, first thing that kind of binds him is awe. He's, bo- he's awe-inspired by God's creation and how it reveals God's glory, and, and in, in a general sense, how it reveals God, and then in a specific sense, how it, how it reveals God uh, with who He is as proclaimed through the Word. We see God very clearly laid out, and we get to know who God is through, through the Word itself. had a testimony uh, after first service, actually, a, a gal in our church that came out and said, you know, it was many, many years after I got saved before I got serious. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, for many years I came to church, I did my thing, and I left, and I thought it was good and warm, and it was, it was doing my best that I could. But I, she said, I realized one day as I was, I was mowing the lawn that if I was ever to have a deep and meaningful relationship with God and get to know who He was, I had to open the book. And it was amazing that that testimony, as she said that, I'm like, absolutely. And, and you could see that she has not left that since. That, and she has grown in a deep, firm, solid relationship with God, that God's word and God himself have become the most desirable thing in her life. That he is more sweeter than honey, that he is more desirable than gold. That is, that is who God and his word has become. And I, I want that for me. I want to grow in that every single day, every single moment. That that's, I want to get to know God. Yeah, we can go in nature and people say, oh, well, nature's my church. <laughs> Nature shows God's creation, shows the glory of God. It's not our church. Right? We are the church, the body of Christ, and we are to grow and be conformed more in the image of God. And if we don't know the word, we can't. We have to go to a place where we are in the word, learning the word, growing in the word, admonishing each other with the word always always. So David has this awe. Sure, there's a grandeur of creation. We see it here in where we live in an amazing, amazing way, don't we? But that points to God in a general way. 
The word actually used for God in the first six verses is El. The name of God is El. And that is a very, very just general term for God. It could be a little g God, little gods, God-like. It's just general, God. But as soon as David transitions into verse 7, he uses the term, the name for God, Yahweh. And that is the great I am. That is the God above every God. This is the specific God. We can see and know who he is. This is the God that met Moses at the burning bush. This is, this is that he is who he is. The Alpha and the Omega. He is God, Yahweh or Jehovah, not just God-like. And we see that specificity coming from the descriptions of God and learning who God is from his word. One of the things I want to point to as well is in, is in verse, uh, verse 6, and uh, we'll see that there's, there's some words there that really kind of connect these two things together. If you look back in Psalm 19, verse 6, he talks about the sun, right? So that this, what, what he displays, David first describes the sky and how the heavens declare the glory of God. Then he thinks of the sun and the joyousness of the sun as it rises and as it travels across and journeys across the sky from east to west. Um, but, but it all hinges here on verse 6. There's a hinge on this that ties it all together and holds it all together. But it depends on this phrase. Look at verse 6. Speaking about the sun, it rises from one end of the heavens and circles uh, to, their, to the other end. And it's this, this phrase. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Nothing is hidden from its heat. So David, in awe of creation in awe of what it shows about God and reveals about God just in a general sense, in awe of the sun and, and, and making the analogy that the sun shines down. Basically, David is saying this. He, he feels the sun, and, and he's determining that, that the sun is almost, as it rises and travels across the sky, the sun is almost seeking him out, that, that he can't get away from it. There's no place to hide. Any, any shade you try to get to, it, it, light is still there because the sun is out. So any attempt made to hide from it is now futile. And the transition from verse 6 into verse 7 is this feeling that as though that like the sun, the law of God also bears down and searches out all the hiding places of the soul. So there's this beautiful transition, this hinge on that, that statement about nothing is hidden from its heat. Just like the word of God, nothing is hidden from it. And we're going to see that more in depth as we go through this. God's word is like that for you and I. God's word exposes and illuminates the heart. And, and David is passionate about this. He's excited about this. You and I could look at this and say, okay, yeah, the word is perfect. The word is pure. It's radiant. Okay, that's great. It sounds good. But David knew it. David felt it. David experienced it. And he saw the glory of God revealed not only through creation, but through the word of God as it transformed his life. And it became the sweetest of all things that he could ever seek. So we're going to pray and we'll get into our passage today, verses 7 through 14. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. We thank you that you have given us creation to show and reveal yourself. But God, more than that, you have specified who you are. You have shown us who exactly you are from your word. And we can trust that. God, we want to seek you more and more. We want to know you more and more. We want to uh, end whatever thoughts we have in our own hearts about you and, God, replace those with what is true and right and pure and appropriate. God, help us seek your word. God, today we invite the Spirit to be in our midst. We invite the Spirit to convict us of sin and use the word of God to transform our hearts and to change us, God, that we would repent of our sin, we would turn to you in faith and in faithfulness, God, and we would be conformed by the Spirit of God and by the power of his word 
into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray it all in His name. Amen. So we're in verse, uh, chapter 19, verses 7 through 14. David goes on. He says, The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them there is abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So we're going to look at a few things today. We're looking at the, the awe that David has over the Word of God, and we're going to look at why he has that. Number one is this. He has it because God's Word is complete. Number one is God's Word is complete. Now, we're going to have six subheadings. If you're taking notes or if you can download the notes from home, we're going to have six subheadings on there that you can write out about the Word. Specific things David says about how and why the Word is complete. So, number one is the Word is complete. And the first thing we see there listed is it back in verse 7, uh, first part of verse 7. Uh, he says, it is perfect for renewing one's life. That's the subnote. The Word of God is perfect for renewing one's life. The verse says, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. You like how I made that point? It's verbatim, right? The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. Well, what does that mean? Well, the word perfect here means it is actually whole. The Word of God is whole. The Word of God is complete. The Word of God is absolutely sufficient. The Word of God lacks nothing. That's what it means to be perfect. That's why David is in awe of God's Word, because it is absolutely complete. Listen, church, you and I can go to the Word of God for anything and find the answer there. We can find it. It is complete. It's not lacking anything. There's nothing that we would want or lack if we went away from God's Word. We would find it there. God's Word makes sense of life. It is perfect. Well, perfect for what? It says the law or the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. That, that means that, that word renewing, so there's other translations there, but what it means is a restoration, a refreshing, a reviving that comes to the people who read it. As we read the perfect word of God, it revives our soul. It revives our life. It changes our heart. Listen, the word of God is so perfect that it can change a heart. It can transform a person and, re and, and refresh the entire inner person. And if you need, you need refreshment, you need reviving, the law of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord is perfect. It will lack nothing in reviving us. That's what he says. That's what he says. That's how it's complete. How else is it complete? The second subpoint here is it is trustworthy to make the simple or inexperienced wise. I actually wrote it, make wise the simple, because I like that translation. I like, I like thinking of myself at times. I'm just a simple mind, right? I, I'm kind of simple, and, I, I, and I, need, I need some help in that. 
right, or inexperienced. The word here, inexperienced or simple, what it actually means is the open door. What David is saying is it makes the person who's an open door wise. What does an open door mean? Gullible. The person that's gullible, the person that is ready to believe whatever is laid in front of them. Whatever someone says, they'll believe it. Listen, we have to be careful, don't we? Especially in this day and age. We watch the news for 10 minutes, we can believe 30 different things. If we're gullible, it's going to not go so well with our heart. We're going to go to sleep, or not go to sleep, we're going to go to bed worrying about everything that's going on in the world because we really don't know what's true. So what, what happens for for you and I who may believe what we see or may be apt to believe what someone says. And listen, we, we want to. A lot of us are just trusting people. I just want to trust what someone tells me. Well, I get it. But not everything somebody tells us is actually truth. What this also means, uh, being simple or inexperienced, it means that open door, that I'm, I'm ready to believe false doctrine. I might believe a lie. That, and Satan loves that. Satan loves the fact that I might believe a lie. How do we counter that? With the truth of God's Word. The truth of God's Word does that. Why? Because it is trustworthy. It is trustworthy. But listen, for you and I that might be a little more of an open door or gullible to whatever someone might say to us, if we aren't in the trustworthy Word of God, if we aren't learning what it means and seeing what He says, we are going to believe whatever comes our way and we won't be able to fight against it or rebut it. God's Word has to stand not only here but in our hearts as we go to it. And it is trustworthy to make wise the simple. Trustworthy is it's not unstable. It's not fallible. It, it's, it's unwavering and immovable. It is always going to come through. It is always going to be the truth. Oh, how those of us who are gullible need that, right? How we need the, the solid foundation, the firm footing of the Word of God, the truth of God's Word. The Word of God can make a person wise or skillful in the issues of faith and life, doctrine and daily living. How wonderful the Word of God is for those who would go to it and and see it, read it, listen to it, do what it says. Why is that so important? Well, I want to go to 2 Timothy. Keep your finger here. Turn to the book of 2 Timothy with me, if you would, please. It's the first part of the New Testament before you get to the book of Hebrews. In the, in the book clump with all the T's, the Titus and Timothy and Thessalonians. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 13 through 17 together here. And maybe you don't think you're gullible. But if, if, if you or I are not in the Word of God, we are apt to believe whatever sounds best. We, not, we may, not, may not believe everything, but we may believe the wrong thing. Chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, beginning in verse 13. Evil people and imposters will become worse. How important then, right, for us, if, if that's the case, how important for us to be well-versed in the truth of God's Word and the trustiness of God's Word. They'll become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you and you, know, you have known that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures. Now Paul, Paul is writing to Timothy saying, listen, you've grown up in this. You've known this. You've gone to the word of God. It's solid. What is it solid for? Which, it says the scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Amazing. Amazing that God's Word can spell out who God is, who we are, and the need that we have for the Messiah, for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It spells it out, that Jesus died in my place, that I had to have somebody die in my place, or else I would pay for my own sin. And that when the justice of God was poured out on Jesus, the penalty for for my sin was paid for then if I would turn and trust in faith in Christ. That's what the Word of God tells me. When the Word of God is, is able to give us wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ. Paul goes on, he says in verse 16, All Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God, and it is profitable. For what? What's it profitable? What's it good for? For those of us who might be a little more gullible or ready to believe, what's it good for? It's good for teaching, rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Man, I want to be equipped. I want to be complete. I don't want to buy into any lies. I want to know the truth of God's Word. Lies will come. Lies are going to bombard. We're going to turn the news on. It's going to come across our news feed. Whatever, it's going to happen. What the Bible says is, is test everything by the Word of God and then hold on to what is good. Hold on to what is true. Hold on to what is right. Not what you think is right. Not what you feel is right. Not what you have a preference towards, but only what is actually true and from God's Word. The Word of God makes the ordinary and gullible sure and ready. Sure and ready. That's what David had experienced. That's why he thinks the Word of God is so complete. The next one, he says, it is, it, the Word is right and it makes the heart glad. Why is the Word of God complete? Because it's right and it makes the heart glad. Go back to Psalms with me. Turn back in your Bibles there to chapter 19. And we're looking at verse 8a, the first part of verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. Listen, the, the right way is the way that pleases God and is according to His design as spelled out in the Scriptures. And this is a really important statement I'm going to make. And it's almost splitting hairs, and I want to see if we can understand this. They are not right because merely God commanded them. But God commanded them because they are right. See, in accordance with God's design, He knew exactly what was best. He knew exactly what would work best. He knew exactly how it would fit. And He commanded it because it was right. We aren't following a God who just said, do whatever I say because what I say goes. Although, He could. He knows what is best. He knows what is right. He is the designer of it and thus commands because it is right. And He has given us the right way to live. Now listen, there are lots of ideas out there about right and wrong. Right? We can go right or we can go left. We, can, we get fed from the right or the left right? all day long. Ideas about what morality should be or what right is or what right isn't. And, and you're this if you're not that and you're, or you're this if you're not this. It, it's, it's ridiculous out there, especially for someone who is bouncing back and forth and can't find footing. This brings footing and God's word reveals what is right. I found a, a it was odd, this, this satire site, Babylon B. they posted a, a, a heading said, in, in, in view of what's going on in our country right now, and this is a, a satire, it's not real, by the way, this didn't really happen, it, it said something to this effect, that Barnes & Noble has removed the Bible from the shelves because of all of its, its equality and, and talk about uh, unique, uniqueness of individuals and values of life, and it just doesn't fit the agenda of what's going on in the country. 
The Bible is timeless. The Bible is timeless. And it says everyone's valuable. It says every person is valuable. Right? The Bible is timeless in how we should treat one another and how we should love one another and how we should be viewed. And those of us who are in Christ, we all, every single person is a sinful person in need of a Savior. And that Savior says anyone, all who believe, can have eternal life. That's the truth of God's Word. It is timeless. And that you and I, as, as Dave Hull shared last week, that we should clothe ourselves with compassion and humility and kindness. That's, who, that's how we should be. That's how we should live. There should be no question of, are we racist or not racist? Absolutely not. We're all one. We're all valuable. We're all created equal in God's sight. In the church, you and I should live that truth because we know that truth and we embrace that truth. Amen? But there is what's right and there is what's wrong, and it's right here. And here's the problem. Here's, here's why we get a little wishy-washy. We, we tend to think, well, yeah, those are all good, those are all right, but when it comes to that one area of my life, that one thing that I want to do, the one thing that's going to make me a little more comfortable, and maybe it's more than one thing for you, I, I don't know, it could be for me too, right? But we, we compromise, don't we? We tend to live by the way that we think is right, by the way that society would agree that it's right, that everyone else is doing it, it's already acceptable in their sight, we might as well live that way. See, we get into a, a hairy situation when we start to say, eh, not all of God's word is right. And what makes it difficult when we do that is it makes it difficult to come back to God's word as supremely right because what it demands is our adjustment. What it demands is our repentance. What it would say is if you are wrong, get right with God. And all his ways are right. And they're right. And, and what David says is because they are right, your heart can be glad. Think of those ways, those sins in your life, the things that we, you and I do that make us not right with God and not, not obedient to God. When we are in those times and those moments, and those, we, we despair over those sins. Our heart is not glad. We are not joyful and excited about what's going on. And, and this is all about God's design. It's not about Him being a killjoy. It's not about Him saying, oh, I just want to rule over you and, and make you miserable for the rest of your life. God has designed everything we see. His way is right. It is best. It is the way it is intended to be. This, this is, here's a couple examples of this, and, and it relates to, to marriage. You think about this uh, idea that, well, it, it, I, yeah, God's word is right, and these guys are weird, but uh, I, I still like this person so much. I'm gonna, let's, we're going to live together with my significant other and not be married. Right? That, that's, let's do that. And, and society says, hey, good, good, good job. More power to you. It's right in their eyes. It seems like it's fine. But you start feeling like, oh, this isn't quite right. I don't know if I should do this. And, and you're right. It, you shouldn't. Right? God's word says something else. But, but why? Because God's design is better than the world's design. I want you to think about marriage in, in general and, and, and human intimacy, sexual intimacy with people. It is God has designed marriage and God has designed sexual intimacy for the covenant of marriage and that union to make two one flesh, to unite two and bring them, draw them closer to intimacy and oneness. That's what God has designed it to be. God, get this, God created sexual intimacy. Thank you, Jesus. God, but here, while God has created sexual intimacy, the world has counterfeited it. 
The world has turned it on its side, on its end, or whatever, and made it whatever it wants it to be. And it's saying, this is what's most satisfying. All the while, God says, no, it'll be most satisfying. Your heart will be the most glad if you enjoy what I have created for you to the fullest within the covenant of marriage that I have created also. It's, it's God's word. He commands it because it's right. He's the designer of it. So you and I cannot just say, well, I'm going to arbitrarily decide whatever I want is right. We have to go to the Word and say, well, the Word is right. And as we follow God's design, which is timeless, it's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and it works and fits, as we follow that, our heart will be glad. Our heart will be glad. Jeremiah 15, verse 16 says this, Your words were found, and I ate them. Your words became a delight to me, and the joy of my heart. Listen, the reason God's word can be a joy to our heart is because it's right, and when we follow it, we are right. When we're away from God's word, there will not be the delight that is intended by the Creator. And I want to challenge you. Test. Test His design. Don't test all the counterfeit ways. Test His design, and it will not disappoint. The last part of verse 8, back in Psalm 19, David says, the command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. So it is radiant, enlightening the eyes. The command of the Lord is radiant. Radiant, what does that mean to be radiant? It's, it's that the commands of the Lord are not dark. They are not mysterious, but they are clear and accessible. They shine brightly to reveal the truth that we desperately need. It says it makes the eyes light up or enlightens the eyes. What does that mean? It because it enlightens us, it shines clearly on us. It, dis- it shows exactly where we're off or where we're right, but it enlightens and it directs us perfectly. We see this in Psalm 119, verse 105. The word, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We can find our way in his way. He shines brightly there. What else does David say? Verse 9a, he says, Whatever is pure endures forever. And speaking about what is pure, he's saying the fear of the Lord. He says the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. And where does that fear come from? It's not even talking about the Word of God here. How does this correlate? The fear of the Lord is that reverence and humility seen and, and, and described in God's huge morality from the Word of God. Right? We, we have a reverence and humility towards God's morality. Say, God, your way is right. I'm going to properly fear you. I'm going to properly address you. I'm going to properly humble myself before you and before your word. He says the fear of the Lord is pure. What does that mean? Well, there's no impurity. right? There's, there's no defilement. There's no imperfection. It's true without any error. It is pure. And it says that, those, that, that which is pure endures forever. What, how does that even, how's that possible? Things that are corrupt things that are are not pure they decay but the pure is pure forever when you go to refine a precious precious metal you refine it refine it to take out all of the impurities so that what is left is pure and is left forever jesus or paul talks about this thing in corinthians talking about the refiner's fire that we will all be refined and the things that are wood, hay, and straw will be burned away in the refiner's fire. The impurities 
the precious metals and gems, they will be refined and purified even more because they, they are what endures forever. Filth, listen, filth brings decay, but purity is the enemy of corruption. It's the enemy of division. It's the enemy of destruction. I want to listen to a quote from Star- Charles Spurgeon that really fits today's, today's climate. Charles Spurgeon said this, and referring to this pure, awesome word of God, He says, when governments of nations are shaken with revolution and ancient constitutions are being repealed, it is comforting to know that the throne of God is unshaken and his law is unaltered. Listen, I'm, I'm a patriot as much as the next guy, maybe more at times. I love this country. I love how it was founded. I love what it was founded on. I I think the Constitution is an amazing thing. But that document and this country and the structure will not last forever. God will. So I I can be a little perturbed sometimes when I feel like maybe our Constitution is being threatened. But ultimately, I know that the one on the throne is unshaken and his law is unaltered. He is the same yesterday, today, and he will be forever. What else does he say about the word? The last, the sixth thing he says here in verse 9, the last part of verse 9, that it is righteous and reliable. The word of God is righteous and reliable. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. That word reliable means they are sure, they are stable, they can be trusted. David continues to say, this is why it's complete. This is what is so beneficial. It's sure and stable, can be trusted. Listen, God's word is righteous and displays what righteous living should look like. We have the roadmap and we have the instructions. I said this months ago when I was in Sunday school. Uh, they said Bible, B-I-B-L-E. It was the basic instructions before leaving earth. How many of you heard that in Sunday school? Okay, a little more than the first service. There are like two of them, right? There's four of you. Good job. Sunday school teachers be teaching that. This is it. It's altogether righteous. These are the instructions for righteous living. Not, we, we don't need to make them up. We don't need to try to figure it out on our own. It's all spelled out right here. And it's not just some way or a way. It is the way. God is good and has given us what is good. His ways are righteous. They are true. They are always intrinsically valid and fit perfectly into the reality around us. There will be no time and has been no time in history where someone can actually say, this is actually outdated and needs to be on the shelf. They can say it, but it is not true. The word of God, the precepts of God, the laws of God still stand firm and as true as they ever have. Oftentimes we're going to have this question, what should I do? Hang on one second, Willis. Well, this question, what should I do? I think I have this oftentimes in my own life. What should I do? Like in this situation or scenario, how should I respond? How should I react? Well, we have that roadmap, don't we? When I ask that question, what should I do? I should not try to make up the answer on my own. I should go to the word of God because it will stand. Psalm 36, 6 says, your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your judgments are like the deepest sea. That's an amazing thing. What, what, what he's saying in the psalm is that there's no one that has better righteousness. There's no one that has deeper, more just judgment than God. His is the highest and best, and it goes the deepest and farthest. God's is supreme. Lois, do you have a question? 
A statement, go ahead. I think Satan is in every aspect of what's going on. Here, here's the problem. Let's, let's just talk. I don't want to get into politics stuff, but I will say this, that, that God creates and, and, and Satan counterfeits. That, that the liar, the deceiver is, listen to this, Satan's, Satan's biggest goal, Satan's biggest goal anytime is going to be deception and division, right? And, and in those things, he is going to use confusion. So Satan is always trying to divide. Satan is always trying to deceive. Satan is always trying to destroy. How much more important then does the word of God become on the believer's life? That we have to be grounded in this and have a firm foundation of what is true. And then we behave, we act accordingly. The world's going to go wherever it goes. We will pray for our world. We will engage in our world. We will have conversations in our world, not under speculation, but from the word of God, and we will behave the way God has righteously intended us to behave because it is right and it is true. It is altogether righteous. Yes, Satan is alive and well. You know the good part about that, though? God is in charge and Satan will be defeated once and for all. At the end of the day, we know the end of the story. God wins. All right, so let's move through this psalm a little more. We're going to move forward. So we've, we've described the, the awe that David has, not only coming from a creation from last week, we've seen the, the awe that he has over the complete word of God, how it's complete. And then there's more awe, and number two is this. God, he, there's awe there because God's word is needed and it's desirable. There's awe because it's needed and it's desirable. Think about this. It's needed. Well, what's it needed for? It's needed for what we just talked about. All of those areas that we just talked about, that David just explained, that's why it is so, so needed and it is desirable. Let's look at verse 10, 10 and 11 here in Psalm 19. Talking about the Word of God or the precepts, it says, They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them there is abundant reward. Now, David was a king and had all he ever wanted or needed. There were times where he was in despair and, and probably lacking and had want when he was being chased by the people that he thought were his allies, and he was in the wilderness or he was in a cave, and maybe he didn't have all he needed. But I want you to think about what David is saying. It's not just, well, yeah, of course, when I have all the money I need and have all the food I need, God's word's more desirable. That is not what it says. Think about a, a, a man, a father who is poor and has no food to feed his children and is sitting there in, in, the, in the bread store, smelling the aroma of bread, thinking, maybe I should steal a loaf. Why? Because it is desirable. Even in that situation, David is saying, listen, there is something sweeter than that. There is something better and more desirable than that. And it comes from God's Word. It is deeply desirable. God's Word is infinitely, infinitely more desirable and valuable than anything this world has to offer. And we say that. We like that. We love that. We say amen to that. But do we live it? Do we really believe it? I hope so. But mercy, sometimes our lives go a little astray, don't they? Sometimes our priorities, sometimes our calendars, sometimes what we spend our time doing 
does not say that God's word is more valuable and desirable than anything else in the world. But it is. It is sweeter than honey, fully satisfying our spiritual hunger and a source of great pleasure and enrichment. Like the the testimony of that gal from first service. She can honestly say, it is the one thing I look forward to the most every day is spending time with God in His Word. I want to say that. I want to say that more and more every day. And we see there, in addition, uh, David writes that through that, your servant is warned by them. Right? If, if we know the right way to live, we know what is righteous and it's truthful and valid and reliable, then it's, we're warned. We, can, we know that if I did this, this is probably going to be the outcome. Or when this happens, I know I can go this direction and be secure. God, God gives us that warning. Your servant is warned by them. Uh, and, and the desire there, the, the encouragement is that we would stay in and abide in them. And in keeping with that, there's abundant reward. It's like that, that joy in the heart. When we're, being, we're living in sin and living and doing what we think is right, that joy in the heart will not be there like it would be if we were following what God wanted us to do. Psalm 119, 1 through 2. And by the way, Psalm 119 would be a, an amazing place for you and your family to go today. Psalm 119 is just, it's all about the fullness of God's word, the richness of God's word. There's so many parallels between Psalm 19 and Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is like 140 some verses, though. It's a long, long, it's the longest uh, book in the Bible. But go check that out later today. But verse 1 and 2 of that psalm, it says this talking about the, the heart being glad, right? And desirable. The word is desirable. How happy are those? How happy are those, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep His decrees and seek Him with all of their heart. There's joy to be had. There's happiness to be had as we follow and trust the Lord. I love this phrase. God's Word is better than the best and sweeter than the sweetest of all earthly things. God's word is better than the best and sweeter than the sweetest of all earthly things. I hope you desire it. David's saying, desire it. It's more desirable than anything else. Desire it. Go there. When you get anxious, go there. When you, when you get worried, go there. When you're unsure, go there. When you're, when you're caught in sin, go there. Run to the word of God. So David builds with that awe of God. He sees the awe of God in the complete word of God. He sees the awe of God in the Word of God as desirable and more pleasurable than anything and brings reward. And that leads him to the last part of this passage, starting at verse 12. Number three is this, that God's Word promotes a right relationship with God. God's Word promotes a right relationship with God. Listen, we say we want that, and then we do whatever we want. But God's Word, when we go to God's Word, it will convict us of that sin and drive us to our knees in humility and push us to a place of absolute submission and surrender to God where we hunger and thirst for only what He can offer because only what He offers will ever be sufficient or satisfying. David knows that. David loves that. David proclaims that. Here's what he says in verses 12 through 14 about the Word of God and about this relationship. He says, Who is is in himself perceives his unintentional sins. Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Again, now that word hidden there, it goes back to verse 6. The sun right, rises and, and nothing is hidden from its heat. Like the Word of God, it's nothing's hidden from the Word of God, so the Word of God helps when I need it the most. He says, 
Help me find my unintentional sins. Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, your servant, uh, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. Amazing how he, how he goes into this. It's, he, he wants, he desires to be clean. He desires to be pure. He desires to be right in his relationship with God because that is the only relationship that will ever satisfy him. And, and the author of Hebrews writes this about the Word of God in chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Here's what the author of Hebrews says about the Word of God. See, David knew this well before this was ever written. The Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as separation of soul and and spirit, joints, and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No wonder we don't want to open it. It's going to expose us. But what David wants, he says, in, in awe of who you are and who I know you to be, I want to be exposed so that I can have you more fully, that my relationship with you would be in the right place. That's what David desires. The whole goal of this awe of creation the whole goal of the awe of the glory of God seen through the Word of God as he's specifically shown through the Word of God is that David and you and I would have a right relationship with the God of the universe. He goes on in verse 13. He says, the Word of God is living and active. And this is what David also knew. In verse 13 it says, no creature is, here's the word, hidden. No creature is hidden. This is why David wants to be exposed, by the way. This is why he wants to have a relationship with God. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Boy, I'd rather get my stuff figured out now before I stand before God. I'd rather stand before God blameless and righteous saying, you my great, are my greatest affection. You are my greatest sufficiency. You are my greatest treasure. There's nothing I wanted more than you. And God, you rid me of anything, anything unclean, and I want that relationship to be right. So when I stand before you, go for it. Expose me all you want. I, I'm righteous because you're righteous. That's what David wants. That's what he longs for. That's what he urges that you and I would have, that clean conscience before God, that, that ability to cleanly go before him and, and then, then effectively worship him because our hearts are clean. He goes on in verse 14, back in Psalm 19, the last verse. He says, may the words of my mouth, so this is, this is his desire. Once I'm clean, I want to be clean and blameless. So the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's what David wants. He wants to be acceptable before God. Not because he's good enough, but because he has, he has rid himself of himself and he's gone humbly to God as his greatest treasure. The affections of his heart are always and only on God. That's what, he, that's what he's encouraging here. And desiring this acceptable. What is acceptable before God? Well, the prophet Hosea mentions this in Hosea chapter 14. This is the last passage of the day. He says in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14, Israel, return to the Lord your God. So this is the right relationship is in view here. For you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words of repentance with you and return to the Lord. So that's that humility that's saying, I want to be cleansed. I want to be exposed. I want to be cleaned from my iniquities. And say to him, say to God, forgive all our iniquity and accept, there's the word, accept what is good. Accept what is good. What is good? Me coming with a repentant heart so God can cleanse me of my iniquity. That I stand before him justified and freely forgiven by him. 
I stand before him with a clean conscience and blameless because of his righteousness. And there's, there's a reason for that. It says, so we may repay you, Lord, with praise from our lips. That's, that's the glory. The glory of God revealed through creation, right? Glory of God revealed through the word of God. And now the glory of God being revealed through God's people praising him and worshiping him. Not out of sin, but cleansed from sin. Not out of being perfect, but knowing the perfect law and the perfect God. Not out of having all of our priorities right, but, but having our affections and our desires set on the King of Kings. Oh, that an awe, an awe for the Creator from creation, and an awe for, for God from the Word of God would bring us into a right and blessed relationship with Him, and that we would glorify Him. I, church, I hope that you would be excited and would, you would be finding God and His Word the most desirable thing, more desirable than anything this world has to offer. Again, God's Word is better than the best and sweeter than the sweetest of all earthly things. Amen? All right. Let's stand together and pray. Father, I, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that it is, it is living and active, and it is sharper than a two-edged sword, that it exposes and penetrates the dividing soul and spirit. You, you judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart through the word. God, how scary it is then to go there. But God, we know that if we would go there humbly, if we would get rid of the sin that we hold on to, God, if we would, we would desire it, we would, be, we would be righteous and blameless before you because you can cleanse us. We ask for that. We ask that we would view your word as more desirable than gold and sweeter than the sweetest honey. That God, nothing would satisfy us more than living in your word and living according to your word. That we would come before you blameless and before people blameless and we would offer our praise and worship to you and that, that we would lift you up and glorify you to the world around us. We trust you with that. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.